This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show, Sandy and Sean. I'm Sean Drotar, Sandy Clough on my left, Danny Bailey in the booth. The number, if you'd like to participate, is 303-831-1340. Call or text for Broncos fans. On the bright side, you can kind of move on from that loss because, you know, the Broncos play again in two nights. On the not-so-bright side, they go to Kansas City to play the Chiefs where it feels like they haven't won since Richard Nixon was president. It's not that bad, but it's starting to feel like it. The Broncos defense, and let me just give you some of these quick numbers before we get they into didn't beat it too the Chiefs all that often when Nixon was president. <laughs> Dead last in the NFL. I don't the think NFL. they lost 15 in a row to him. Uh, that's the problem, right? And what are the Chiefs? I mean, the Chiefs are a good team overall, but they're especially known for their offense, right? With Brian Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey, and we get all that. The Broncos ranked 32nd in the league. 32nd. It is a 32-team league, last I checked. 32nd in. Yards allowed per play with seven. Yards allowed per pass play with 7.9. Yards allowed per rushing play with 5.9. Total defensive yards per game, 450.6 per game. And if you would like to take out, you know, a fumble recovery for a touchdown and things like that, the defense itself is allowing 34.4 points per game. Also, 32nd in a 32-team league. In other words, by virtually every way you can grade a defense, the Denver Broncos are the worst defense in the league. We've talked about it earlier in the week. By DVOA, one of the more advanced modern metrics, they are not only the worst team in the league, they're the worst team in the league in more than 40 years. Well, they're the worst team in 43 years of tracing on that particular. Because prior to that, we didn't have all the stats you can backtrack and make it. From 1981 through 2023, first five games, no one has been as bad defensively as Denver has been, uh, according to the formula that goes into determining DVOA. It's basically an efficiency metric. Um, Adam Schatz, I believe his name is. Aaron Schatz, football outsiders. I'm yep. sorry. Uh, noted to the athletic this week that the gap this year between last in DOA and next to last mm-hmm. in DOA, <laughs> which would be Chicago. DVOA, but DOA might as well work, right? About the same as the gap between Chicago and Tennessee. Tennessee is number 20. Goodness. So that's a perspective on DVOA that the Broncos are as far behind the Bears from 32 to 31 as the Bears are behind not 30, 29, 28, all the way down to 21. You have to go down to 20 to find the gap that matches what exists between the Broncos and the Bears. The Broncos did not, because they were playing against Zach Wilson, give up any touchdown passes on Sunday. But in five games, they've given up 13. In the first 14 games last year, the Broncos gave up 12 touchdown passes. And in terms of yards before contact, uh, actually, the Broncos have hit the daily double. 
Uh, yards before contact against the run at 2.38. That is last. They are not quite last, but second to last per rush after contact at 3.56. So as they hit the daily double, they didn't quite do that. They weren't last in both categories. But before contact, they're last. After contact, they're second to last. Ugh. So they can't tackle. They aren't in a position to fill holes very often. 938 rush yards against the first five games is tied for the most given up by any defensive team since 2002 in the first five games. And there is a great debate going on out of Dove Valley as to what is primarily responsible. Is it bad technique or bad communication? And my answer to that would be yes. Well, Sean Payton had an opportunity to talk after the game on Sunday and obviously frustrated immediately after that loss. But uh, you'll note that at one point in this discussion, he says, it starts with me. Listen carefully and tell me which part of it actually is Sean Payton's responsibility, though. Um, obviously, uh, disappointing loss. I think it was pretty clear, at least to my eye, when you, when you look at some statistics uh, the turnovers come to mind. You know, we, we talked about the red zone efficiency offensively. We had two drives in the first half, both ended up in field goals, and that, that starts with me. Um, two two negative outside plays, and uh, we felt like we we had a good plan going in, and yet we ended up kicking field goals. Um, but the turnovers, and then defensively, it was a tale of two halves. I thought we played them well in the first half. And we allow the big run in the second half, and then the running game becomes a problem. Um, three turnovers and a safety, I think, lead to 15 points. Um, tough to win a game like that, and uh, you know, I've got to do a better job. It starts with me. So we got a short week, and we have a quick turnaround. So correct me if I'm wrong, Sandy. He said specifically he thought they had a good plan, but they only ended up scoring field goals. So... I guess is Peyton suggesting that maybe his plan wasn't quite good enough because after that he went on to turnovers and sloppy play yeah. and things like that. The indication was the execution was poor, which it was. Do not get me wrong. It most certainly was. Well, that's, that's what I'm talking about with technique and communication. I'm being rather sarcastic about that because it, 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 the answer can very well be both. Um, the Broncos play with, with no energy and, you know, the play calling, I, I, I don't know what Peyton thinks he has. Maybe he doesn't think he has anything, and he has to literally outsmart his counterpart, whoever the defensive signal caller well, is on the other side, because his talent uh, offensively in particular um, is, is clearly insufficient uh, in his mind. But it, you talk about this – you know, these silly uh, word salad uh, explanations, it, it's a, lo a lot of coach speak. And, yeah, well, that starts with me. Well, what exactly starts with you? Um, you know, it, it, it's it, – there's so much about the Broncos that is substandard. Uh, getting back to the DVOA rankings mm – -hmm. Broncos rank overall 29th, 17th on offense, which the last time I looked was below average. Yep. Ever so um, slightly. 
dead last on defense, as we just described, and ninth somehow on special teams, although uh, (laughs) I'm not saying special teams aren't important. What I'm saying is you can be ranked number two on special teams as the Arizona Cardinals are and still be very bad. One and four, right? Right. Uh, You can rank second as the Jets do Mm -hmm. on special teams, and we know the Jets really aren't any good. Um, You can be number three on special teams and maybe even top ten overall, but if your offense is 23rd, you're not going to be ranked overall much higher than that. And the Broncos are 17th on offense, 29th overall, because not only is their defense last, it's last by so much Mm -hmm. in relation to the other 31 teams that whatever the offense does, unless the offense is exceptionally good, which we know it is not, there's no game you can win, but you're, you just gave up 31 to the Jets. And I know the defense didn't give up all 31, but you're giving up what 37 and a half a game going in. Mm -hmm. And you're still giving up somewhere in the neighborhood of coming out of this game. What? 33, 34, I mean, what what are you supposed to say if if in any year across the history of the NFL of now what one hundred four years mm-hmm. you can't give up more than thirty points a game and be any good, just as you can't score more than thirty a game and be bad, especially in today's game. And you know, I'm I'm looking at the top. Well, we won't go too far into this. Top eight DVOA teams. And by the way, that's defensive. That is a defensive adjusted value over average. And, right. and basically, it, it does end up working for offense. It's, it counts. You have to consider like pass plays are more efficient than running right. plays. Right. Um, the, when you're behind, uh, you're more likely to get chunk plays because defenses are playing off. Yeah. It's taking all of that into all account. Of that is, it's so a it, very good method. Yeah, it understands that if you're behind and they give you nine or ten yard throws because you're down three touchdowns, it doesn't mean as much as when the game is tied. It requires play-by-play analysis. But of the top eight DVOA teams overall, here are the offensive uh, rankings. San Francisco is first overall. They're number two on offense. Buffalo is second overall, number three on offense. Detroit is third, number four on offense. Miami is fourth, number one on offense, even with the third worst special teams in the league and bottom ten defense. Number five is Philadelphia. They're seventh in offensive DVOA. 
Kansas City's number six. They are sixth in offensive DVOA. Baltimore is number seven. They're 11th in offensive DVOA. And the eighth-ranked team is Seattle, and they are eighth in offensive DVOA. You get the idea. Let me flip this, too, on the other side, because the Broncos, as you pointed out, Sandy, 17th. Out of the bottom 11 teams in the league, roughly a third, right, in in uh, just overall, that includes your offense and defense, total team DVOA. Out of the bottom 11 teams in the league, of which the Broncos are, are in there, only the Broncos have an offensive rank in the top 20. At all. The other teams, all the bottom 11, the other 10 teams besides the Broncos, all have an offensive ranking in 21 or below. The Broncos are the only team. That shows you how bad this defense really is. Uh, Most of these teams tend to sync up to a certain extent. The Broncos' offense is average to below average, but the defense is so historically bad that even that ranking... Doesn't help them. Doesn't and so help. in in Sean Payton's case, when he talked about this after the game, he did talk about one thing that I thought was interesting. And he did talk about one thing that is up to him. And what he talked about was the idea that offensively, he needs to focus on a little more balance. The, the part that I, I, I'm frustrated with myself is that we, we became one-dimensional and, uh, and I know better. Um, so... I have to be more patient relative to how we run the ball, and it was that type of game. Julio McLaughlin was playing very well, as you pointed out yesterday, Sandy. I think you did a great job of explaining all that. If you missed any part of the show, remember, you can always go uh, to MileHighSports.com or the free app, and you can check out uh, all of it, anything you missed. McLaughlin didn't even play all that much, given the fact that he was playing well. And, and yes, uh, Peyton, I will give Peyton credit for that. He is noticing, yeah, you know what he did? that this game was not out of control for the most part. And you went away from the run earlier than you had to, especially knowing that every single time your defense sets on the field, it's a problem. And in, in this game alone, expected points added, another pretty good metric that just takes every single play and says, what does that add on average, right? Defensively, for the Broncos, it's an absolute disaster. I mean, I don't even know how else to explain it. Even though Zach Wilson had a total EPA of minus 7.5, which means if you were to take an average NFL quarterback having an average day, the Jets would have had over a touchdown more than they did. Yeah, they, they should have, even with Wilson in the right. game. But they should have had about Brees a Brees Hall added 6.4 above average, yeah. and he was rolling. Every yeah. single time the Broncos let their defense on the field, you are giving the other team the edge. I don't care who they are, whether it's the Bears or the Jets or the Commanders or the Raiders, but certainly not the Dolphins well, and certainly not the Chiefs. Go ahead and run the ball, yeah. and it's good that he did at least identify that. The, the Jets are 29th in offense, according to the DVOA metric. They're 15th on defense. Um, I still don't quite understand how the Broncos could run the ball in the first half 12 times for 115 yards and in the second half run 10 times for 24 yards. Mm -hmm. That's um, almost inexplicable 
to me because it certainly wasn't a matter of the Jets loading up the box and leaving all their defensive backs exposed. Or if they were exposed, in single coverage, none of the Bronco receivers, none, were beating one-on-one And that's the problem. The Broncos forced the Jets to do nothing. Single coverage was enough on everybody, which allowed them then to spy on Russell Wilson, who actually was doing a terrific job on the ground, being opportunistic. Well, he was a big part of the 115 yards in the first half on the ground. finished with 749. He was much better as a runner than he was as a One of his few 20-yard carries in the last uh, many years, as a matter of fact. And all they did was put a spy on him, which they could afford to do because no Broncos receivers were getting open. I pointed this out yesterday. I went and looked at the All-22 film. Uh, Russell Wilson was holding on to the ball too long. I agree with that. But when you go ahead and look at it, when you look at the whole field at once, there weren't a lot of places he could throw well, the ball safely. We, we have two quarterbacks in this area uh, to whom we pay a great deal of attention, Russell Wilson and Shadur Sanders up in Boulder. And I understand the idea that a quarterback helps himself by getting rid of the ball on time. But I, I'm Looking at the CU receivers, which, comparatively speaking, seem a lot stronger than the Bronco receivers, and I still don't see when Shadur Sanders is holding the ball, I don't see receivers gaining separation. And and you pointed out yesterday you didn't see it with the Broncos. Yesterday, that if, if quarterbacks are holding the ball, they're almost never holding the There's ball no for no There's no quarterback that reason. wants to get hit. There's no quarterback right. that wants to risk getting hit. Right. They don't. Right. And... You know, Wilson, I, I suppose this year, again, relatively speaking, has not been hit as often as Shadur Sanders has been hit. But up in Boulder, and and again, I, I understand CU has not beaten a team that is currently playing winning football. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. That's true. But. When things are going badly in at least four out of the six games, and let me say exclude TCU and say three out of the five games since TCU, he's been able to figure out a way to bring the game to a successful conclusion Mm -hmm. by whatever means necessary. Sometimes his arms, sometimes his legs. Sometimes a receiver, they've had two receivers two weeks in a row kind of come out of nowhere and be key guys in a comeback that fell short and obviously in a win that Deion Sanders, rightly or wrongly, on the uh, post-game podium. He was hot. Took his loss. (laughs) He took like a losing coach. The coach who hadn't been able to get through to his team, um, a coach whose team didn't particularly deserve to win except for one player, and he clearly identified his son Shadur as being that one player who played up to whatever standards Deion Sanders is holding people to. But with the Broncos, what are the standards? And I'm reading these curious quotes in Sean Keeler's column today in the Denver Post from Billy Turner, the former Bronco, yeah. who played fair amount on Sunday because Jet offensive linemen always get hurt in every game. And uh, 
back then it's almost a guarantee to get hurt and at least miss some time. Yeah, Elijah Vera Tucker, by the way, hurt for that out the year now. He's half of the year. year. You're right. And he's the best. He was line. hurt in the. He's the best yeah. lineman. And he's half of the year. So Jets keep winning in they're, Denver, they're, but they keep losing tough. players when yeah. they get here. Yeah, yeah, yeah they, they lose key players. But it, Turner said, well, you know what? That they, they got some great players, and it's a good team. And all the years that I was there, uh, both stints, they, they, they've always been a good team with special players. Unfortunately, they weren't able to win, but that's not to say they don't have a good football team and they don't have a lot of things in the tank. They've just got to figure some stuff out, whatever that means. I, I have no idea. But what Sean Payton says, in the end, it's, it's just a word salad. It's a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, I take responsibility for red zone play calling. Okay, that, that wasn't very good, but the most ridiculous play call of the day did not happen in the red zone. No. And he threw P. Ryan under the bus for mm-hmm. that one. For a, for a bad pitch on a terrible and of course, reverse. The, the yeah. media, gadget the, play. the media questioned on that. And, you know, whoever asked it, I, I, I just don't understand. Is that, well, uh, you know, Mims is the guy who fumbled the ball, which gives Peyton the opportunity to say, well, no, it wasn't Mims, it was, bad, it was P. Ryan. And then they can avoid talking about and the play decision in the first place. nobody says, uh, I, I don't know, does, does being at the game, I'm beginning to think being at the game makes you dumber. <laughs> because <laughs> and I'm watching the game. You see Sauce Gardner come off the field. He's hurt, although apparently not seriously. Just but needed a play. He, he, got a little, little time off. Yeah. I don't know how many plays he missed, but he definitely missed the next play. And even Matt Ryan and Tiki Barber, who aren't the leading analysts for CBS. But one played corner, one played quarterback, okay. and one sure and knows what he's going to do. Well, no, no, this is Tiki. So you have a quarterback and a running back. Pardon me, you're saying, right. Tiki, I, I'm mad. You're thinking of I was thinking of Ronda. Ronda. You're right. They're saying... Well, of course, the next play, they're going to target the guy who's replacing Gardner. Sauce, right. Right. So, and and after the play results in a disaster, they comment appropriately on what the heck are they doing running a gadget play there. But the people of the game apparently don't have access to the telecast or they don't see that Gardner's out of the game. So to them... It's three ball handlers on the play, and you can't blame Wilson. So it's got to be either P. Ryan or Mims. How about the stupidity of calling a gadget play when Sauce Gardner is on the sidelines? Well, you know, don't ask Sean Payton questions that he feels he doesn't want to answer because you'll get that uh, quick exit. Uh, we'll, we'll hear about that. As well. Uh, we most certainly will. The Broncos now uh, face history, and when I say face, I mean they're going to hit it. I'll tell you, it's bad numbers for the Broncos that they haven't hit in a while and not often. Tell you next on my life sports. Back down. Sandy Cuff and Chandro Tar. Presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. 
Here's Sean and Sandy. Well, for the Denver Broncos, things go from bad to worse uh, very, very quickly. I guess you don't have to worry about uh, hearing about Nathaniel Hackett anymore. Uh, Hackett, uh, well, even this year, Hackett has more wins in Mile High Stadium than Sean Payton. That's less than ideal. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, he, he had an opportunity. He ended his press conference. He ended it rather abruptly because he was asked specifically whether uh, about about the narrative with Nathaniel Hackett and Robert Sala, of which uh, Peyton had originally said that um, he would reach out and, and apologize to both of them in the week prior to the game. Both of them were asked if they received an apology. We played Hackett's right here on this uh, uh, program where he just gently said no, as a guy who fully didn't expect one would sound and. Uh, if you were curious how Nathaniel Hackett, uh, pardon me, how uh, Sean Payton would handle it, this is how he ended his press conference after the game on Sunday. I, I already, I already addressed that though, and it's a fair question, but I think we already addressed that the, the next day. All right, thank you guys. And he left. That was that. Exit stage left. Well, the thing is, kind of didn't address. Well, he addressed it. He said he'd call and apologize. But Which both, both Sala and Hackett said he didn't apologize. That was Peyton's opportunity, if he really did, to say, no, they're not no, being truthful. They're, they're not Hold being up your phone and show that you called them. Right. Yeah, it keeps track. Joe's yeah. like, look, I called them both right, right yeah. here and here and apologized. Uh, he didn't, and that's that's fine. And you know what? The Jets took their their win. And as I told you uh, yesterday, you know, more of the sound came out afterwards. Uh, Sala came up at the end of the game. They shook hands, and Sala said specifically uh, to Sean Payton, stay humble. So, you know where uh, the rest of the, the that coaching staff feels about Peyton and the rest of the league at times feels about Peyton too. But that doesn't really matter. That's they're, they're moving on. Now it's time for Kansas City. This is the, the simple thing, Sandy, and I can't remember the last time. It, it, you can even look at it just in a stretch. Well, what could happen? What could possibly go right? And I look at it, I'm like, nothing. Nothing. The Broncos can't beat the Chiefs. They can't beat the Chiefs on Thursday. They can't beat them with uh, two weeks off. They can't beat them. They have the worst defense in a couple of generations. They're not beating the Chiefs. And that means they're going to be one and five. The Broncos have only started one and five four separate times back in 1964, 1965, 1967, and then once in 1994. Again, we're talking about stuff that with one blip, things that haven't happened with the Broncos as an NFL franchise. This has only happened once for the Broncos as an NFL franchise to start one and five. Well, and three of the four years you mentioned were American football right. league years. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean, as an NFL team, they started one and five. Three years exactly out once. of four. 64, 65, 67. And the worst team in the American football league for, for a decade, 60 through 69. Um, by far the worst team, in fact. They never had a winning season. They had one 7-7 seven and seven season, but the rest were losing seasons and very bad years in those years you mentioned. And uh, coaches were fired for the most part. Um, I believe in three out of those four years, the only year I can think of that the coach wasn't fired. Uh, it was 1967, Lou Saban's first year. Lou Saban had won two championships in 64 and 65, coaching the Buffalo Bills with his lead assistant, Joe Collier. 
the brilliant defensive coach, who had the best defensive teams in the American Football League in Buffalo in the mid-1960s, and they won championships. Yes, they had Jack Kemp at quarterback, and they had some good players on offense, but they won those championships uh, both against the San Diego Chargers and the AFL championship game during those two years with their defense. And they shut down Sid Gilman's offense, which, according to many NFL historians, was the West Coast offense Mm -hmm. that should have always been called the Sid Gilman offense because Sid Gilman ran the West Coast offense. He invented it. Yes, Walsh refined it. Shanahan refined Walsh. Others have refined, including his own son, what Mike Shanahan ran. It's always an evolutionary process. But to shut out the San Diego Chargers, who were running an offense with talent, the John Hadle, a quarterback, Lance Allworth, yeah. maybe one of the two or three greatest wide receivers in the history of the National Football League and the American Football League, probably the best receiver in the history of the American yeah, Football right. League. Uh, you know, Keith Lincoln, they, and terrific offensive line, and Sid Gilman as a head coach. That's why I say Joe Collier's on the Mount Rushmore of defensive coaches all time because he consistently got the best of Sid Gilman, who might have been the greatest offensive mind who ever lived because he invented a lot of things. As far as offensive football is concerned, if you watch a game today, you see stuff that originated with Sid Gilman all the time. All the time. The... And and that's and that's I can't I guess what I look but, at but here. But Lou Saban didn't get fired, and I guess it, you when know, we know Peyton won't get bad. fired because he won a Super Bowl once. But Saban won his championships three years and two years before he was hired here. Peyton won a Super Bowl fourteen years ago. How relevant is that to what's happening now? And after Bounty Gate, he never went back to a Super Bowl. Never went back to a Super Bowl after the one he won at all, but after Bounty Gate, I think he made the conference championship game one time, and he probably got screwed over at one time and should have gone to the Super Bowl, but they didn't, and it was the only championship game they ever reached. Isn't that rather astonishing? After getting to a Super Bowl in 2009 and coaching through 2021, they never got back to the Super Bowl, and they only got to the conference championship game one time after that. That's it. That's incredible. That's not so good. I know his overall winning percentage is fine, but if you really break it down uh, pre- and post-Mountie Gate, boy, there there was a drop-off. There was. And and a succession of seven and nine seasons, if you go back and look yeah. it up. And I'm, and I'm not saying that, that Sean Payton can't coach. I'm not saying that at all. But I, but I'm saying there are holes in his record that maybe ownership should have paid closer attention to. But he was yes. a big name, and yes. they are infatuated with big names. That is, that's the the thing. There's there's some things that they should have paid attention to, and they did not pay attention to them at least seemingly. And now they are in a spot in which they are unable to make a lot of of. Moves. I mean, in-season trades in the NFL are, are more common than they used to be. Definitely. But part of the problem for the Broncos is, I you, get it, fans are reaching out and say, okay, 
it's time to, to burn it down and start from scratch. Look, I don't necessarily disagree with that. There are very few irreplaceable pieces on this roster. That said, it's easier to say than to do. There is one player on this roster who will get you a first-round pick. One. He's on a rookie contract, and he's pretty good. Is he the best corner in the league? Eh, debatable. But he's but he's pretty darn good. And, and he's and he's on a rookie no, deal, and and that's he's on a rookie deal. Let, do you want to trade him? Tell people what that means. That gets okay? you a first rounder. Let, let's let's talk about the rookie deal he's on. 2024, his base salary. This is next year. Will be 1.05 million. Uh, he'll take home a roster bonus of 2.46 million. That's not very much. Okay, um, certainly not much for a team that uh, trades for him. The Broncos, if they trade him, I I have a feeling the Broncos will look at the Jalen Ramsey, Jacksonville to Rams mm-hmm. trade in 2019 and say, that's what we want. But the body of work isn't there yet. No, I, I'm saying, I no, that's what they'll sure. want. Well, they're going to be disappointed. And for Jalen Ramsey, that was a first in 20, a first in 21, and a fourth rounder in 21. They're going to want multiple picks, not multiple firsts. I'm not saying they'll get two firsts, but they're going to want at least multiple picks. And Buffalo's going to look at it and say, we'll give you a first. I mean, it would be the last pick or one of the last picks. You can have some sixth or seventh in a future year or something. We don't care, but right. Maybe, but they're not going to give up more than that. And, you know, honestly, you can't trade everybody uh satan is certainly trade a bull simmons i'm guessing is trade a bull and i i said yesterday maybe you get a third day pick for sutton i'm not sure you get much of anything uh he'll still be making that money he's making now for a little longer won't he Mm -hmm. who's gonna give up even a fifth rounder for that contract and and a guy who can't seemingly can't play anymore. It, I mean, or it at least has lost interest in playing here. And the stuff he's put on tape, he's jogging through his paces every week. It's it's been bad. And, and yeah, he has two more two more years. Uh, twenty twenty four seventeen point three million. People talk about bad million. contracts like Russell Wilson's. The worst contract George Payton's done is the one for Cortland Sutton. Now, you know, it, it wasn't it necessarily was apparent at the time. defensible at the time. Somewhat yeah. defensible. Although it was a bit But much. it did come after he had sustained the knee injury mm-hmm. and hadn't at all reestablished himself. And I remember saying in 2021, listen, give him a year coming off an ACL injury. He's not going to pick up right where he left off in 2019. But then he comes back last year, and he's even worse than he was in 21. And this year, he's even worse than he was in 22. It's going the other way. This isn't a plateau. This is a guy playing like he's 10 years older than he actually is. Yeah, the idea playing that like he's it, it's up. always the challenge, I think, for fans, and even, I guess, for media members to look at it. When trades come around, this guy that isn't that good for us anymore, we'll get something good for him. That doesn't work that way. We'll talk more about that later. Up in Boulder, the Buffaloes also have a weekday tilt. They will take on Stanford this Friday in 
Uh, a game they are heavily favored to win. Deion Sanders had an opportunity to talk with the media uh, a little bit earlier. Wanted and there's to... some good news from Boulder. There is some yeah. good. There's some really good news in Boulder, although it makes me a little bit nervous. I'll explain yeah. next on My Life Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. On Friday, the Colorado Buffaloes will host the Stanford Cardinal, the Buffs 4 and 2. Stanford 1 and 4, the Buffs a heavily favored, 11 and a half point favorites over the Cardinal. It will be another national game. The Buffs with a one week off from the national uh, scene is bad. They're back on it. That will be an ESPN game at 8 p.m. Deion Sanders had his uh, weekly opportunity to meet with the media. Was asked specifically, at least now that they're six games in at the season uh, halfway point, uh, how it's felt thus far uh, in Boulder. It's been wonderful. It's been uh, above reproach. It's been beautiful. It's been uh, everything that I've had. I mean, I don't. I'm not a complainer about this. I'm, I complain about things that we should be accomplishing. But I don't complain about life. Life is so good. It's so wonderful. Because you have the remote control to do whatever you want and to make it whatever you want it to be. So everything since day one in Boulder has been 100. you got to understand we've made it that way. And we plan on continuing to make it that way. We have some lofty goals and some lofty plans for this wonderful university and this team. The... Team, of course, now at four and two, maybe it could be five and two after Friday. Still trying to get to six. And six, I think, Sandy, you and I agree. Uh, I get it. You look at a four and two team, it could be five and two, and we're going to say six is going to be tight. Folks, it's going to be tight well, because the Pac 12 is ridiculous. The You're playing UCLA at UCLA on October 28th. That would be the game that follows the Sam. Currently game. ranked 18. Right. Uh, Oregon State at home on the fourth. Currently ranked 15th. Uh, Arizona which is not ranked, but gave USC <laughs> all it could handle. You know, everybody talks about CU's rally against USC. Well, Arizona took USC to triple overtime and really should have won the game. Uh, then they get Washington State in Pullman ranked on 19th. November 17th. And they get Utah. Ranked also 16th. To give you an idea, too, of, of how these <laughs> schedule Utah makers understood this was going to no. go, we talked about this last year with the Broncos in the first season with Russell yeah. Wilson with a lot of national games stacked. Yeah. The Stanford game is on ESPN, as I mentioned. Their next yeah. national game, there's one left. It's that Washington State game on FS1. I think yes. a lot of people at understood. At 8.30 at night. Yes, that it's going to be a, a Friday night ride. at 8.30. But yeah. uh, they have this guy. Happens to be the coach's son. That doesn't have to do with the performance. He's got 16 touchdowns, only two interceptions, and leads all of college football with 2,020 yards passing. His name's Shadur Sanders. And the Buffs do have talent, especially at the quote-unquote skill positions. The lines are another story. But you can very easily look at this and think that they would have lost the Colorado State game. They would have probably lost this Arizona State game if not for the heroics of Shadur Sanders late. 
Dion had an opportunity to talk about college's leading passer and his mentality. Shador has always played quarterback. Now, I started Shador off really learning him the defenses. So we would get it home on the board and write up all the defense because he also played both ways, young and youth plays like strong safety or defense end. So he always understood the intricate details of all the defenses and just mental toughness and physical toughness. Shoot, he's a better Sanders. That 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 was understood around the crib that you you're gonna be mentally and physically tough. Um, his brother is the same way, you know. Shiloh is the same way, and they grew up, you know, two years apart. But he's always been that type of young man. But more than that, he's always understood the moment and the time, um, timing of the moment. He's always been able to maximize. It. I'm proud of him on that aspect. And he don't, you know, Shador don't complain. It's easy for him to come up here and sit up here and say, I'm getting hit left, right, in between. Now he's sore right now. I know he's sore because he's in the hot tub and he's doing things to make sure his body is straight. But he, he does not complain. He's not going to throw his lineman up under the bus. He's not going to do any of that. That's just who he is. 30 sacks on the year leads all of FBS football. And even though Shador Sanders at times looks slight out there, he is 6'2", 215. He's not, uh, he's not tiny. But the the, the play has Very been strong. really remarkable. And uh, he's, he's a canny athlete in that he really understands the moments of the game as they happen and very rarely makes the wrong choice of target to throw to. And obviously for the Buffs, it is a major, major advantage and possibly an advantage that even though the, the NFL is sniffing around, I think that the way the season is going and the way it's likely to finish with six wins being kind of a high, that'd be the ceiling uh, that he's likely to come back for his senior season, which would set him up nice for the NFL, but also really help the bus recruiting your, your thoughts six game in on Sanders. I, th- I think we all probably assume that he has adjusted to power five football even better than we assumed. I don't think neither of us had doubts that he could handle it, but, uh, Leading the, the nation in passing, 72.7 completion. Stop with that one unnamed person's nonsense that he's hiding his completion or, you know, hiking his completion rate by taking sacks. 16 touchdowns to two picks. Uh, it's been stunning. I mean, we're talking about one season, and I understand the team results matter, but this is by far the best single well, season by a quarterback the, in, in CU history. The word team. And he's the one who is substantively... uncompromised um i i think you know it, hunter's been hurt mm-hmm. but they're the two guys who who strike me as players who have been good uh, in every game and played above and beyond uh, the call of duty uh, the level of expectation every time out uh, both are leaders um the quarterback on this team would have to be a leader uh, because there isn't a lot of established talent right. around him, and especially in front of him. And it, you know, we're, the offensive line is what it is. We don't need to be terribly detailed in our uh, critique of yeah. the offensive line. It's you not say good. it with your own two right. eyes. And the defensive line is not great. That their their secondary, if healthy, is pretty good. With the injuries they've had, and injuries are inevitable, mm-hmm. they they don't necessarily have the depth to absorb 
too many injuries. But it, there's no question that Shador Sanders will be a first-round draft pick whenever he comes out. Travis Hunter will be a first-round draft pick when he's eligible to come out. Now, he doesn't have to come out mm-hmm. when he's first eligible, but he will be back in 2024. Shador, I I think it's probably 60-40 he stays. I do, too, because I think the NIL money means that he doesn't have to chase it at the, at the NFL right. level. And I, I think, you know, to come back next year, maybe with a better team and playing in a different conference that will not be as good. The Big 12 in 2024 will not be as good with as the your Pac-12 same receivers, your same running backs, hopefully a better line, yeah. same same coaching yeah. staff yeah. could be set up for some uh, big uh, time yeah, numbers. And maybe the same coaching staff. I, I, I think uh, Shador Sanders has helped Sean Lewis, and Sean Lewis has helped Shador Sanders, no, no doubt about it. Of all the CU assistants, I think Sean Lewis – who is calling plays knowing that his offensive line yeah. can't do much in the way of run blocking or pass blocking. And quit his head coaching job at Kent State to take this game. I, I think I think he he may have a chance to leave. Whether he will or not uh, remains to be seen. I think he'll have that chance. Uh, Shador Sanders will have the chance uh, to go to the NFL and be a first-round pick, but I think if he wants to come back next year, he can certainly afford to come back next year and take a real run at winning the Heisman next year. I, I suspect CU Heisman Trophy winners don't come out of six and six. You have to seasons. be you have to be a bowl team at least, at bare yeah. minimum. You have to be a pretty good bowl at team at least. And uh, you know, there, there are too many guys who are who are good and either making their teams better or part of teams that would be not as good without them, but still would be decent without right. them. And I I think right now it, it, it's hard to repeat, but if it isn't Caleb Williams, who's it going to be? Uh, Penix? Maybe. He's the number two Maybe. guy in passing behind Sanders, yep. for sure. Uh, Maybe. Maybe the, Penix. The bright side. The guy. Is if you're Shadur, you will have, as you pointed out, Travis Hunter back. Well, he might have him back even sooner than that. Yes. There's a tremendous chance he could play. Uh, it, it goes by how he looks, how he performs in practice, how his win is wind. Um, he has to be in shape. I don't want him to be a liability. I want him to always be a tremendous asset. And, and Travis uh, came to me yesterday morning saying, what more can I do to help us get to the point that we need to get to? So I love the team aspect of Travis 100%, but I, I, I hope he can play. And that was going to be my follow-up question. Like, with an injury like that, um, that's a, a tricky one, What what is that? Is it just getting back into shape? Is that the key for him to get it cleared by the doctors? Is that what it needs? Well, he's cleared. He wouldn't be right. He wasn't cleared. He's cleared, and he has uh, protection on and secure those areas. But, you know, the game is the game. The game is a violent game. It's a vicious game. It's a very uh, physical game. But Travis is all. So he has a, a chance to play on Friday. Now, Sanders said earlier last week he'd love to – he said his wish was they'd wait for the bye, which would be after this game. Well, but it's I, three and a half weeks out. Yeah. But what we're talking about. Yeah. As of right he was now, injured on, injured on, on the September 16th, 16th right. and, and now the game would be on the 13th. So it'll 
it'll be close. I guess we'll see. You know, you have to trust the doctors. I would say that if he's going to play, I'd only they have receivers. I'd only want him to play on yeah. defense where he's right. hitting rather right. than getting. And I, hit. I, I, I understand if the idea. Of, well, it, if he's going to come back, I want him 100 percent able to play both ways. But they miss him quite a bit more at corner than they do at wide receiver. They do. Uh, bring him back. Let him play corner. Um, I mean, the injury risk is always there, I suppose, but it would seem less of a risk while playing corner as opposed to wide receiver. The other the last thing before we go here is the idea that, that you know, when Deion Sanders was hired, you knew you were making a splashy hire and the substantial parts of it but that were going to be remain to be seen and so far so good. But the impact for the university can't be overstated. And understand this, Andy, when Deion Sanders was hired over on Instagram, the Buffaloes had 58,000 followers. Today, they broke a million. A million from 58. And to get an idea of what that's like, Colorado is now one of only four college football programs that have a million followers for that football program. Four. The other schools probably won't surprise you. Alabama, Ohio State, and LSU. That's the high-rent district the Buffs are playing in right now when it comes to attention. That's remarkable. This is a team that had one win last year and had basically been invisible for the better part of 20 seasons. And they're in that area of attention. And that's why, no matter how this turns out the rest of the year, whether it's six games or five games that they end up winning, it was worth it. It's the best. You couldn't have spent that money on advertisement and ended up any better. Well, they... Again, this is a team that was 127th in points last year and 125th in yardage out of 133 on the FBS level. Not any national games, let's put it that way. No interest, nothing, an afterthought. Phenomenal turnaround. They have at least two more this year. Up in Boulder, obviously, we will find out. It is going to be close. It's going to be touch and go, but to get to six wins, but they'll need to, to get that one on Friday. We'll talk about that more as the week goes on. But it is Avalanche Eve. That's right. The Avalanche open their season in L.A. tomorrow. Altitude Television's Katie Gauss will join us to break down the latest. The roster's official. The guys are ready to go. We'll talk about it next on My Life Sports.